Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Okay, I think you need to be more excited. <laughs> God is good. And all the time? Yes, it's good for us to exercise our lungs. I know that since, you know, uh, we enter into a time of endemic, coming back to the house of the Lord, and uh, not many of us exercise our lungs, you know. <laughs> when we sing, our singing is uh, a bit muted. Uh, when we respond, it's also a bit muted. So today, I would like to encourage you to exercise your lungs. Expand your lungs. Right? Respond and uh, so that, you know, uh, we can let the excitement right, to come again, fill this place. And of course, most important of, God, uh, most important of all, uh, the presence of the Lord will fill this place. All right? And uh, we are in the month of June. This is the last Sunday of June. And it's so fast that we are finishing the first half of 2023 and entering into the second half next week itself. And we are continuing on the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. As you know, in the month of emphasis, we have been emphasizing on the Holy Spirit. We have a Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we have our church camp. And of course, we have a two break in between as we celebrate Parents' Day and have a guest speaker. But I would like to wrap up this emphasis on the Holy Spirit to once again uh, to talk about the Spirit-filled life. Because the emphasis on the Holy Spirit is not just on the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not just on the baptism whereby we get excited in you know, uh, being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. But what's next? How do we live our spiritual life from now on? How do we live a Spirit-filled life? So let me ask you a question. I don't be shy to respond. It's just a fun question. Maybe you can take it. How many of you think you are spiritual? Raise your hand. You think you are spiritual. Don't be shy. You think you are spiritual? Raise your hand. Okay, praise the Lord. We have some spiritual people around. Next, how many of you think you are carnal? Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Uh, confession is good for the soul. We also have some carnal people around. How many of you think that you are in between? Sometimes spiritual, sometimes carnal. <laughs> Many of us are like that, isn't it? Sometimes preacher, sometimes carnal. Even Paul himself struggled, you know. He said the, you know, the flesh is warring against the, the spirit. You know? So that is uh, the struggle that many Christians are going through. It's good to be spiritual, right? But we need to understand what true spirituality is all about. Now, many people, you know, they attach spirituality to some activities maybe, Right? But today we want to learn what it means to be truly spiritual. Some people attach it to certain things. That is spirituality. Some people attach it to certain activities or certain non-activities. So they think that is spirituality. And I hope at the end of this message, there will be a desire in each and every one of our hearts to want to be spiritual. It's good to be spiritual. Amen? Right. Hey, I say be more responsive, you know. It's good to be spiritual, amen? amen? All right, good, very good. You are doing well. And so today's my message is, are you spiritual? Are you spiritual? So you, I want you to check yourself. I want you to listen to the message, you know. Are you spiritual? Now, the text is taken from the book of Colossians. And you know, uh, just give you a little bit background on the church in Colossae. The church in Colossae was not founded by the Apostle Paul, but it was also it was as a result of his ministry in Asia Minor. He was based in Ephesus, 
And then, you know, the gospel just spread through because Ephesus was the capital of Asia at that time. And Paul was there, you know, was in the central location. And from there, the gospel spread. And one of these guys who were greatly influenced by the Apostle Paul, by the name of Epaphras, he heard the message, he believed in the Lord, and he carried uh, the word of God to Colossae, and he founded the work there in Colossae. And therefore, the church there was born, and the church grew. People came to know the Lord. It was a growing church. And of course, Epaphras uh, constantly have contact with Paul. Uh, and uh, 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 sometimes he will give Paul feedback about how the church is doing, how the young church is growing, and so on and so forth. And when you read the book of Colossians, when Paul started off, he gave thanks to God for them. He praised God for them because they were growing because of their faith. Uh, because of their growth in the Lord, because of their love. And also Paul was very excited, was thankful for their faith, for their love for one another. But however, something disturbing was happening. What was happening? What was taking place was that there were some false teachers who infiltrated into the church and they threatened the faith of the believers. And who are these false teachers? So Paul had to address the issue. So he wrote to encourage them to continue in the faith. And at the same time, he wrote to counter the false teaching. So he has a two purpose. Uh, one purpose is to encourage the believer to continue what you are believing in. At the same time, to counter those false teachings so that they will not be affected by it. And some of these false teachings had to do with Christian spirituality, what it means to be spiritual. And they attach spirituality to mimic laws, to philosophies, and to worthy principles. So to encourage the believers, Paul started off by asking them to continue to live in Christ. And just let's read this together. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 7. Right, let's read it together. It says, So then, read together, okay? Ready? Run two. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You notice that in these two verses, as Paul asked them to continue in the faith, the question is, how? And he gave them, you know, he used three words of how you need to continue in the faith. And the three words is what? Rooted, built up, strengthened. To continue in the faith, we need to be rooted, Build up, strengthen. Okay, say it with me. To need to be continuing the faith, we need to be rooted, build up, and strengthen. One more time. Rooted, build up, and strengthen. So you can see like a tree, a giant tree had to be strongly rooted in the ground, spreading right deep into the root right deep into the ground, so that the church the, the tree will grow strong and be strengthened and will be able to spread its branches, just like this giant tree that I've just depicted for you on the picture. So if we want to be spiritual, we need to be rooted, built up, and strengthened. And you realize that the, this is necessary in order to go against a false teaching. When you are rooted, you will not be easily swayed. You will not be easily shaken. You will not be easily influenced. So that's why it's so important to be rooted. All right? And let's see, right, uh, as Paul continues, what did he say? Why do we need to be rooted? Verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8, what does it say here? <clears throat> See to read that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition 
and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather on Christ. So he asked them, right, you need to be rooted so that you will not be taken captive. You're not, you will not be bound by all these false teaching. And what are these forces of evil? And Paul mentioned three forces of evil here. What are they? Right, let's take a look at the next slide. It talks about deceptive philosophy, human tradition, and worldly principles. These are the evil forces that's at work that is attacking our spiritual life that cause the believer to be shaken in faith, that cause the believer to even be deceived and be taken captive. So Paul began to expose these things, this element, deceptive philosophy of man, human thinking, humanism, things that, that the human uh, knowledge above divine knowledge. A human tradition, rules and laws that come down, that, that, that some of it, the, the background may be spiritual in nature. Uh, some of it may really encroach of a lot of superstition and so on and so forth. And of course, worldly principles, the culture of the world, right? uh, the thinking, the mindset of the world that's influencing the believers. This was true during Paul's time. It still holds true today that we are still being influenced by these evil forces that's at work. That's the reason why sometimes we are spiritual, sometimes we are carnal, right? So this is how it affects our Christian life. So what are we going to do about it? Right? So these are the evil forces at work. So as Christians, we need to be discerning. We need to discern what is true spirituality and what is false spirituality. And at the end of the message, you will be able to ask yourself this question again. Are you truly spiritual? And you want to be spiritual. I hope that you really listen carefully so that we will make a conscious choice of what we want. So let's understand what it means to be spiritual. To understand spiritual, perhaps we talk about the other part. Right? Number one, true spirituality is not a matter of outward appearances. It's not a matter of outward appearances. As you look at chapter 2, you have your Bible, you can follow along. You look at Colossians chapter 2, right? And uh, from verse 16 onward, right until, you know, uh, chapter 3 itself, right? And I just want to highlight a few uh, verses to you. So it's quite common for people to attach spirituality to a certain form of piety. When you look at some people, the way they dress, you know, the way they conduct themselves, the way they do their prayers, they carry out certain traditions, you attach, oh, this person must be spiritual, you know. Right? So you attach to some form of piety. And there are certain expectations of how you should behave if you are spiritual, right? And so uh, what are the kind of uh, human thought of spirituality? But here Paul is talking about true spirituality is not a matter of outward appearances. Right? So, for example, it's not a matter of food and drink. Let's look at verse 16. Uh, what does verse 16 tell us? It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath. Now, the Jews were very particular on this, food and drink. What can be eaten, what cannot be eaten, what can you know, drink and what you can drink and what you cannot drink. So they have their kosher food. 
Uh, we are familiar, the Jews have their kosher food. There is a food law in the Bible, there is a dietary law, di dietrical law, uh, the food law where the Jews have to adhere to. And I know that this is very familiar to us living in Malaysia. We know that, you know, our Muslim uh, 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 friends, they have their halal food. So it's very similar to what the Jews are having, their kosher food. Now, the well, the food law was given by God for a purpose. That was before Christ came. Because for the Jewish nation, they entered into a covenant relationship with God, and they are supposed to be a chosen people, supposed to be a people that's distinguished from the rest of the people. So therefore, God gives them this as part of the covenantal covenant to show that they live they are to live a life that's holy unto the Lord. But then, since Christ came, God had put these laws aside. It is no, it is good, some of this law for our help, but it's no longer required as a means to salvation. But the problem is some of these Jews who came to know Christ continue to push it out, to push this law even to the Gentile Christian, to those who were non-Jew, and they force them and they continue to keep to just Jewish law and, and even insist that Christians who want to be saved, you must also observe the Jewish festival. So that's the reason why Paul wrote to counter it. And in fact, in verse 17, he said that these are the shadow of the things that were to come. Uh, the reality, however, is found in Jesus Christ. He said that Jesus Christ came and he actually put aside some of this legalism. Now the food law actually is beneficial to help. And if a Christian wants to follow the food law, no problem. Go ahead and follow it. Right? But you must not make it a law. You might not impose it on others, but the problem of the false teacher is that to them, this is a form of spirituality, you see? They attach spirituality to external behavior, to external activities. Right? So these are false spirituality because they judge those who do not agree or who do not follow their way. So therefore, the Gentile Christians were being pressured by this false teaching that, oh, if I don't follow this, I am not spiritual, I am not close to God. But spirituality is not a matter of our appearances. And it's not a matter of mammic law. It's not a matter of do's and don'ts. Let's look at verse 20 itself. Right? Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, to the worldly principle, in other words, why, as though you still belong to the world, do not submit to the rules? Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish reviews are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulation indeed had an appearance, appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And Paul phrased it so well. Perhaps you said, wow, it's very worthy. Huh? I got to read all over again. Yes, you need to go all over again because it's very worthy. But let me simplify it for you. Uh, it simply says that there are people who want to deny their body in order to attain spirituality. Some people want to live an aesthetic lifestyle. I must not do this. I must not touch this. I must not handle that. You know, I must restrain my body. So very strict self-discipline. Uh, that's why some people, they prefer to live a hermit life. 
Maybe they go into the monastery, you know, and maybe they go up to the mountain uh, to live by themselves so that they will not be tainted by the things of the world. All right? And so they abstain from all self-indulgence. Well, that is a good point of view, but when you carry to that extreme and you attach this external matter, uh, these are what you call perceived spirituality from a human point of view, but it's not from the divine point of view. And we know in our country, we have many of these religious people around as well. They detect how you should dress, they detect how you should conduct your social life, how you should engage your leisure, what are the things you should do, what are the things you should not do. And they impose this standard uh, on the people. And even the nurse uniform become an issue. You know, if a mind is unclean, I tell you, even you put a gun set over your body, they still be able to see through and think of something else and see something else. These are all external appearances that when you impose, when you insist, and when you think that this is a standard of holiness, this is a standard of spirituality, this appearance of holiness is deceptive. That's what Paul is trying to say. He said it's hollow. It's deceptive. You think that because you follow this kind of thing, you are spiritual, then you are thinking wrongly. It is used as a pretext to actually cover one's spiritual bankruptcy. You are actually spiritually, you are actually not spiritual. And so you want to have attached it to certain external form. And you put on those external forms so people think you are spiritual. So it's a pretext, it's a pretense. And sometimes it's used to control other people. Because I say you cannot do it, you cannot do it. You do it, you are guilty. You see, that's how you control people. Nothing new. During Paul's time, this already happened. And we must also be careful at the church. Right? That we, we, we also need to be careful that we will not you know, come to the point whereby we begin to attach spirituality to certain external behavior or certain external appearances. Paul says this is not true spirituality. External appearances do not define our spirituality. It's actually the other way now. Our spirituality determines our external conduct and appearances. Having said this, you know, even though nobody will tell you whether you should eat certain food or drink certain things and what to eat, what to wear, so on and so forth, but if you are a true spiritual person, you will know how to conduct discerning. You know what is good for you. You know what is good for your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, know what is right and wrong. Uh, a true spiritual person will know how to exercise self uh, exercise self-discipline and you do not need to be supervised. Isn't it? If you are truly spiritual, you don't need people to supervise you. You'll be able to discern. Right? You know how to draw the difference between the permissible and the beneficial. A lot of things are permissible, but they are not beneficial. But a true spiritual person will know that even though this is permissible, but it's not beneficial to me, therefore, I refrain from it. Personally, without anybody supervising me, without the pastor imposing on me, without the pastor looking at me, and then I just feel, oh, oh, pastor around, I better don't do this kind of thing. But if you are truly spiritual, when even in the absence of the pastor, you will know how to behave because your true spirituality has to do with your connection with God and it comes out of your life naturally. That is true spirituality. You don't attach it. You don't need people to force it on you. 
Say, for example, come to dressing. Yes, we dress decently. We dress modestly. Uh, we dress to cover and not to expose. Uh, because we understand that the purpose of dressing is to cover, not to expose. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they felt ashamed because they were naked. They tried to use leaf to, to cover themselves, but it was easily torn. And God covered them with animal skin. So what was the purpose of the clothing? It's for covering. It's not for exposure. But the world standard, the world culture nowadays, instead of covering, they're exposed. So it's counter against what the Bible is teaching. So if you are truly spiritual, the church doesn't have to tell you what to wear. Your skirt cannot be how many inches uh, below or uh, above the knee. You know? We don't have to teach you all these things because if you are truly spiritual, you will know what is good for you, what is not good for you. You know what decency is all about. You know what modesty is all about. You see? So in the church, we do not put a dress code outside. But we expect you to come in decently. We expect you to come in respectfully in your clothing, in your dressing, because we expect you to honor God and to respect one another. Right? So that is true spirituality. You decide and you understand it as you grow, as you mature. In the, term of, in the form of eating and drinking, the issue is not whether can be eaten, cannot be eaten. The issue is whether it's good for our body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it includes not overeating. Eating is permissible, but overeating is not good for your body. Correct or not? Right? So it means non-indulgence, not getting drunk, everything to do in moderation. You see, the world has the full standard, but we ought to be counter-cultural. And if we are truly spiritual, we will be counter-cultural without supervision. You know how to discern and do the right thing. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Secondly, true spirituality is not a matter of extraordinary spiritual experiences. What does it mean? There's not a matter of extraordinary spiritual experience. I thought we ought to look for some spiritual encounter, special angelic visitation, special vision that comes from God. Uh, not necessarily so. Let's look at verse 18. What does verse 18 say? Do not let anyone delight in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. What does he say? Paul talked about false humility. Some people have a false sense of humility by um, engaging in certain spiritual exercises, which are actually good, but the false sense of humility may carry it to a greater length, and again, they impose those expectations on others. For example, fasting, prolonged period of fasting, prayers, um, extraordinary giving, charity, so on and so forth. These are good. Right? Let me tell you, I believe in fasting, and we should fast. I believe in praying, we should pray all the more. Right? And where were you at the prayer encounters? Right? We should pray, right? And we should give generously and give cheerfully. Uh, we should give to charity. Uh, we should contribute uh, to the community to help the poor. But there are people who carry it to, to the extreme. That, you know, once a year, every Christian must fast for 40 days. You don't do that. 
you are not spiritual enough. You are not Christian enough. When you pray every day, you must pray at least one hour. Anything less than one hour, you are not close to God, okay? When you give, you must give until you are poor guy, you know. Then only uh, you are considered generous, then God will honor you and bless you, you know. All right? So you, when, when some people, they have the gift of giving, they can give a lot, praise a lot. But you do not impose that on others. Some people have that calling to be intercessor. They can pray for three hours, four hours a day. Go ahead, praise the Lord for you. Some people, they have this self-discipline. They are able to exercise uh, uh, fasting. Some people impo- uh, uh, make it a point. You know? At least I must fast at least once a week. And they even set certain day. For this day, I must fast. That is, you know, my personal discipline. Very good. I encourage it. But when you begin to impose this uh, uh, standard on others and disqualify others because others do not do what you do, then you become judgmental of them. And you look down on them right, for being less spiritual than you. And Paul calls it false humility. It's false humility. Because if you are truly spiritual, you will not be judgmental. Correct or not? Yeah, if you're spiritual, you will not impose it on other people. And then you have this super, sense, uh, super spiritual, uh, what I call super spirituality. Uh, they are those who are both of other spiritual encounters. Paul mentioned about the worship of India. Probably these people have some angelic visitation. That's what Paul was uh, implying. Uh, he said, well, such a person goes on into great detail, verse 18. Right? Uh, Detail about what they have seen, they are puffed up with either notion by their unspiritual mind. They mean they probably have seen something, uh, some angelic visitation, some uh, supernatural encounter. And so they begin to boast of all these other spiritual encounters and see themselves as more spiritual than others because of their unique experiences. Well, I'm not sure about you. Maybe you have some supernatural encounter. Maybe you have seen visions, seen angels before. Oh, wonderful. Some, to some, God has, you know, blessed them with this, you know, to draw them close. You know, they have seen angels. I have heard of people who have seen angels before, right? <coughs> whether during worship or whether it's in their own personal life, in their own personal prayer, they have this kind of special uh, encounter, which is wonderful. Some people are able to hear from God. Such preachers give experiences. It's good, but may cause a person to be puffed up and see themselves as higher level. Uh, these are the super spiritual people. Now talk about this kind of extra supernatural experience. Paul had it. Paul had it, but Paul didn't really want to talk about it until he was forced to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to verse 6, we are not going to read. Paul talking about, he was describing a man. Actually, that man was referring to himself. That he was giving that unique spiritual experience. Sometimes we call it maybe that out-of-body experience. Right? He was caught up in third heaven. Right? He heard things that humankind are not supposed to hurt. He see things that were very unique. Right? It was... Probably he was in the vision, he was caught up in the spirit and out of body experience. And Paul actually didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want, want to boast, but then he said, I, I have no choice but boast. Why? Because there were some other people, super apostles, 
that was, you know, going against Paul and say that Paul, you are not a real apostle, you are weak, you know, you, you are not one of the 12 disciples, who make you the apostle. They questioned his apostleship. And Paul says, since you boast so much about yourself, I have no choice but to bring out my personal experience to tell you that I too have the spiritual encounter. But Paul didn't want to uh, really boast about it. And at the end of it, after describing his experience, he went on to explain how God kept him humble through a thorn in the flesh. He said, because I have this kind of supernatural encounter, as a human being, right, sometimes the, the, the carnal nature come in, I can become boastful, I can become proud because of all this supernatural experience I have in order to keep me on the ground. Not floating in the air, solid on the ground. God allowed a thorn in the flesh to come. And that keep Paul humble, right? Because he said that I carry on by the grace of God. His grace is sufficient for me. So this serves as a reminder that those extraordinary spiritual experiences are not an indication of spirituality, but an indication of the grace of God. It was an indication of God's grace upon our life. It's not an indication of your spiritual level, your spirituality. Have you ever experienced, after talking to someone seemingly super spiritual person, you feel more disturbed and encouraged? Do you have that experience? <laughs> well, that person after talk to us, uh, make you feel very small, make you feel very discouraged, make you feel that, you know, I, I'm not there. La, you know? right? it, it shouldn't be, you know. Let me tell you, our spiritual experiences are not meant for us to compare with others who is more spiritual. We do not need to dream dreams and see vision and have angelic visitation to be spiritual. You can be spiritual without all these extraordinary experiences. In fact, most Christians wouldn't have them. Most Christians wouldn't have them, but yet you can be spiritual without this. So don't go and seek for this kind of thing. Even if they come to you, it doesn't mean that, oh, it come to me, so now I am at a higher spiritual level. No, it simply shows us the grace of God. That in spite of our humanity, in spite of our sometimes our spiritual, uh, our carnality, God reached down to us because he loved us. Personally, I have some deep experiences and encounter with God, but I don't talk about it. And you don't hear me talk about it. Because it's part of my personal spiritual journey and my relationship with God. Those experiences are very real to me. Those experiences are very deep. Uh, it kept me going. It kept me serving Him for all this year. And those encounters actually sustain me a lot and give me a lot of spiritual insight. But I don't talk much about it. Why? Because it's personal between me and God. And I prefer to keep it that way. Yeah, a truly spiritual person will inspire others instead of demotivate them. So ask yourself, in my life, do I inspire others? You will inspire others to want to be like you. You will inspire others because they say, oh, I, I know this brother, or I know this sister, you know, such a humble guy. But I know, you know, they're very close to God. I can see the glow on his face, you know. And people can 
get motivated, get inspired to want to follow your example. That is true spirituality without you having said that, you know, I'm very spiritual because I do this, I do that. You know, the way I dress and all that, you know, you don't have to brag about it, right? So that is not true spirituality. So through what we have talked about, true spirituality, uh, true spirituality is not a matter of outward appearances. It's not a matter of extraordinary spiritual experience. But what then is true spirituality? Let's come here. Come back here. The true spirituality is a conscious choice. You choose to be spiritual. It's a conscious choice. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things below. Not on earthly things or on things below. To set our, thing, uh, our hearts on things above is to seek after heavenly things. It's like what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what it means to set our heart on things above. Right? When you talk about you set your heart, it means it is a conscious choice. It's a deliberate decision making. Right? It is, when you make that decision, it's something that you have properly thought through. Just like when you decide you want to be a Christian. When you decide you want to put your faith in Jesus and receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior. It's a conscious choice. You have thought through. And you know, some of us take a long time before we become a Christian, even though we have been exposed to the gospel. Why? Because we need to process through. So it was a conscious decision. So similarity to be spiritual, it is also a conscious choice. In life, we make many choices. There are decisions we need to make in every important milestone of our life. Let's say one of the first major decisions we need, need to make is when we finish high school. After Form 5, SPM, right? Maybe some of you are just after Form 5 or maybe after your A-level, right? Nowadays, so many types of school going on. When you talk about after Form 5, not everybody has Form 5. They have air level, they have this and that. Wow, you know, so confusing. And then your major decision is what career path to choose? What course to enroll in? And most of the time, most of the time, a 17 years old or 18 years old don't know. Parents, am I right? When you ask them, what do you want to do? Don't know. Don't know. Right? They really don't know. And you don't blame them, you know. So you ask around for advice, you know, people will tell you this, you know, follow your heart. But you are saying, my heart tells me nothing because I don't know <laughs> how to follow my heart. That's why I'm asking around, you see. And so you realize that, you know, there will be a lot of uh, uh, suggestions given to you. There will be a lot of opinions given to you. And finally, you think that your heart is telling you something, you know. Uh, you go and tell your parents. Your parents say, no lah. This one, the poli chari makan one Correct or not? Yeah. Then you say, parents say no. Well, then maybe it's not. La. Right? So, so when you want to, to make decision, it's something that you have to think through. And so finally, no choice. Right? And the courses is going to start. And uh, even though you hear 101 opinions and a lot of voices, a lot of options, lots of suggestions, lots of offers, you name it. But finally, you have to make a decision. You cannot keep prolonged. Yes, some have the privilege. Maybe the family can afford it. I take a one-year break to think. Those are the privileged few. But for many of us, you cannot afford a one-year. 
the parents cannot afford to just support you, you know, right? Uh, for, for you to do nothing, uh, you see, right? So it's very harming to the pocket, you see. So therefore, you know, you have to make a final decision. And so in making decisions, there are two types of people. Right? Maybe you say person A. A. Okay, maybe call him Amy. So Amy is still very unsure. Try it out. Okay, la, tell the parent, I will just try this course. La. If uh, cannot jadi after one year, I will shift course. La. So do you think Amy has set her heart on a career path? Has she? She had not just set. She was still unsure. She just trying and, and she may change her mind anytime. Maybe after one term, maybe after two terms, or maybe even after one year. There are people who completely finish their first degree and say, actually, that's not what I want to do. That's what my parents want me to do. Now I'm going to do a second degree. That's what I want to do. But you have a second type of people, B. B, right? Okay, B, let's call him Billy. So Billy was very sure right from the beginning, I want to be a doctor. I want to do well in my exam. I want to get straight A. I want to enroll into medical college. Right? And he was willing to go all out for it. Some people will, will tell, you sure or not? It's very tough one, you know. You sure that's your calling or not? Some people, after they come out of doctor, they give up, you know. They, they don't want, you know. And you don't waste your parents' money and so on and so forth. Can you go through the grind? Not by his fixed mind. I just want, I want to pursue. I know it takes me a long time. I want to go all the way to specialize, to be a specialist. B was very sure. He had thought through, he had set his mind, he was willing to go through the grind, the sleepless night, all the hard work because he had set his heart to do. It was a conscious choice that he wanted to make it work. Similarly, we are to consciously choose to be spiritual. You must not be swayed by the wind, you must not be swayed by the environment, you must not be affected by the forces of the world that I mentioned about, the human tradition, the human philosophy, the worldly principle. We have to make a conscious choice to strengthen. When, when we make the conscious choice to seek the things of God, it will affect how we live our life, it will affect how we behave, and it will affect how we make our decisions. Even your career, when you set your heart on things of God, you don't just listen to human advice or simply weigh the pros and cons. Well, in advising people, we will just get list down the pro, list down the con, you know, uh, list down all the possibility, and then you make a decision. These are all good. These are all good advices. But as believer, we go one more step. We pray. We pray and we seek God's direction. We seek the will of God. We allow God to lead us, and we consciously want to choose the path that God has planned for us. So I know some of you young people out there. You are think, You may be thinking of a career change. It's okay to have that thought. Just pray through. Yes, you still can go around the, all the normal way of what we should do. Find out all the other possibilities and pros and cons. But what's important, seek the mind and the will of God. After I finished Form 5, I went into business study with the intention of doing accountancy later on. I have set my mind. I have set my heart to pursue my career, and like many people in my era, parents cannot afford you to go and study in college. So work full-time, work full in the evening rush, and go for night classes. Very common people of my era. Uh, can some of you identify? 
Yeah, right. Morning, go to work immediately. Go to college. You know, don't even go home. Right, eat and go to college and study. Right. So that's what we do. You know. But along the way, right, God called me, and He would not let me go. Of course, there were a lot of struggle. The urge, the prompting was getting very strong, and I have to make a decision. I have to make a conscious choice whether to set my heart on things above or on things below. And after many struggle, you know who won? God won. God won, and I gave in. I said, "Okay, right. It's time for me to just set my mind on things above." After many months of restlessness, after many months of struggle, I surrendered it to God, and I entered into the ministry. It was a conscious choice. I know sacrifices need to be made. I was the only Christian in my family, and I knew I would face a lot of opposition. But once I set my mind on it, I know God will see me through, and He did. And the rest is history. So there is a conscious choice you have to make. When God, even when God call you, it doesn't mean that He call you today. Like, not many of us have the Jonah experience, lah. You still can try the Jonah experience, <laughs> but be ready for the whale or for the big fish, whatever is it, right? So I'm sharing this so that we can understand that spirituality is a choice. It's a choice you make. True spirituality will affect every area of your life because our life no longer belongs to us; it belongs to God. A spiritual person will not divide his life into the spiritual part and the secular part. He will not say that this is the church me, this is the non-church me. The church me will behave as a spiritual person when I'm among Christians, when I'm in church. When I'm in a Christian environment, the non-church me is when I'm at work, when I deal with my nasty client, uh, when I deal with those unreasonable people. This is the non-church me, and I can be very garang. We cannot divide our life into two parts. When you're truly spiritual, it's the whole of you. Right, a spiritual person lives his life consistently, whether in or outside the church, whether in the Christian environment or in a hostile environment, whether it's among Christian or among predominantly non-Christian or even those opposed to Christian faith. You live your life same consistently. A spiritual person lives only one life. He lives for Jesus. That is the true spiritual person. You live only one life. You don't live a double life. You don't have a double standard. One standard for church and one standard for the world. You live only one life, and you live for Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And lastly, true spirituality is practical. Chapter three, verse five to verse ten. Verse five, five start off by saying that put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put to death. Now, put to death is very practical, right? Put to death is the beginning. Of true spirituality, if you want to choose to be spiritual, put to death. What do you mean by put to death? Kill it off. Wow, pastor, you so violent, lah. No lah. That's what the Bible say, man. Right? You kill it off. You subdue it. Don't give any more life to it. In other words, we are not to indulge in all these acts 
anymore. And what are all these acts? Uh, what are the things we are to put to death? So in verse 5 right until verse 10, right? And uh, Paul has mentioned the long list of them. What are the things that we are to kill him off from in our life? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is authority. Because of this, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in this way in life. You once lived. You once lived, we were like that. But now you must get rid yourself of all such things as this. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the images of its creator. So you notice that true spirituality is very practical. Whatever is no good to your spiritual life, get rid of it. Whatever no good, get it. Easy said and done, I agree. But this is where we need the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why we say we need the Holy Spirit. We need the, being a spirit-filled believer. Right? Because we can't do that ourselves. It's only the Holy Spirit can help us. Look at the list again. These things are very real in our life. Having dreams and vision will not help you get rid of it. Tell you. You can have dreams and vision and you, you will not get rid of all these things in your life. It's not through dreams and vision. Right? And yes, prayer is very important, but you cannot just pray and tomorrow they disappear from your life. No. You see, some of these things, you, know, you have to really submit to the Holy Spirit. Then only you can overcome. Prayer is one way to help us to submit to the Holy Spirit, but you cannot pray them away, you know. Some of them, you cannot pray them away. Sicknesses, you can pray them away. But some of these things that is inside you, your habit, you cannot pray them away. You have to make a conscious decision to submit, to surrender to God and let the Holy Spirit come in to renew you, to help you to overcome all these negative habits, vices in your life. Be very practical about it, right? So what are we going to do? Not only that we have to overcome them, at the same time we must find good alternative to replace all these vices and negative behavior. Sometimes you cannot just get rid of something like that. You have to find good alternative. What are the good alternative? Right? The good alternative, you can find it in verse 12 to verse 14. What does it say in verse 12 to verse 14? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgive you. And over all this virtue, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And I want you to see what the scripture addressed here. Uh, we are addressed as what? Look at verse 12. As, next slide. The Bible addresses us as God's chosen, holy, and dearly love. My slide disappeared. Okay, can you repeat after me? What are we? We are God's chosen, holy, dearly love. Say it aloud and declare it. We are God's chosen, holy, dearly love. You see, we are God's chosen. We are holy. We are dearly loved. Uh, because of this, we are to be spiritual and our life. We must live our life that befit our spiritual nature. 
to have spiritual character. That's what here he say to replace all those you know uh, sensuality, all the lust, impurity, uh, all the rage, anger, and so on and so forth. Replace them with compassion, kindness, humility, and these are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Instead of all the negative behavior, thoughts, and emotion, we are to replace them with good behavior, thoughts, and emotion, and this can be done through our submission to the Holy Spirit. When we produce the fruit of the Spirit, we'll get rid of all these evil things. And one more point very important, right, in verse 13, bear with one another, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgive you. To be forgiving, this is another trademark of true spirituality. Are you, are you spiritual? You ask yourself. Is there anyone in my life I have not forgiven? If yes, then you have to pray and ask God to help you. You, want, you truly want to spiritual, you have to be forgiving. So true spirituality is, uh, forgiveness is a trademark of true spirituality. Right? If you are not forgiving, you are not spiritual. And of course, to love. So since we are God's chosen, holy and dearly loved, we need to have spiritual character put on the fruit of the Spirit. We need to be forgiving and we need to love. This is what true spirituality is all about. It is practical. Being a Pentecostal is not just being noisy. It's okay to be noisy, right? But I find that you guys are not noisy enough. Yeah, very subdued after the pandemic. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the mask or what. But I really want you, it's okay to be noisy in the house of the Lord, you know. It's not just about being noisy, it's, it's good to be. And it's not just about being speaking in tongue and getting excited. We all want to be excited. Yeah. But it's, oh yes, I like Brother Lam. He's ever so excited, very encouraging. I wish more would be like Brother Lam. Can I have an amen? Who wants to be like Brother Lam? <laughs> you are the one and only one, huh? Cannot impose, right? Cannot impose, yeah. Just be natural, right? But let's... <clears throat> okay, in every way. Uh, where am I? It's also, you know, uh, yeah, it's not just being excited and all that. It's also being very sober. As a Pentecostal, we need to be very sober in living a spirit-filled life. Right? Our spirituality is expressed in the way we conduct ourselves naturally with the help of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to put on pretension. So when we are truly spiritual, we are holy. We don't need to pretend to be holy. Uh, it's people who want to have certain unique kind of dressing to show themselves that I am the holy man, I'm the holy woman. Uh, 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 that dressing will kind of uh, define me. It's, it's not the kind of false humility or false spirituality or false holiness. Uh, we can be holy naturally. Okay? And uh, in fact, it is only unholy when we pretend to be holy. When you pretend to be holy, it's already unholy. Right? We do not need to follow rules and regulations to keep ourselves in check. We don't need moral police around us. And you know what I mean? We have many of these moral police in our country. We don't need moral police around us. We naturally know how to exercise self-discipline if we are truly spiritual. It's a conscious choice that we make. So, in conclusion, be spiritual. Tell your neighbor, be spiritual. 
Yeah, but I would like to ask you a question before we pray. Would you choose to be spiritual today? Would you choose to be spiritual today?